I'm Deb Kuykendall. And I'm Jacob Kuykendall. I'm Karen Hernandez. And this is The Decades Podcast, a podcast where we watch two movies, one from a previous decade and one from the 2010s. And this season we are covering horror movies. I hope you enjoy the show. Heck yeah, you'll enjoy the show. Hi, this is episode seven of Decades, and I'm Deb Kuykendall. I'm Jacob Kuykendall. Karen Hernandez here. So this uh, this watch, one of the things I wanted to do at the beginning of this episode is go back over the episode, the the movies we've already watched. Mm-hmm. So uh, episode one we watched Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde and the Black Swan. Mm-hmm. Episode two was Two Frankenstein's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> episode three was Cat People and uh, Under the Skin. Yep. Episode four was the bad seed and uh, the bad seed and oh no it wasn't the boy it was something with a girl oh it was insidious insidious Insidious. right uh was that five that was four episode four episode five was rosemary's baby yeah, yeah, and, and the Vavitch. And the Vavitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode six was... Probably The Boy and... Uh, so The Boy was the modern movie. Uh, Alice Sweet Alice. Alice, Alice Sweet Alice. Alice. Which was awesome. That was a great movie. Yes. And uh, today we watched... Videodrome was the old Video one. Videodrome was the 1980s movie. Yeah. Came out in 1983. Movie I enjoyed. David Cronenberg. And the modern movie was Unfriended. Yeah, by... Shrugs. Hmm. <laughs> by a computer, maybe. Well, I know it's written produced by a man. <laughs> a plan. Um, no. Yes, no, I can't remember what... The, the, the director was, uh, has, uh, like, from the Ukraine or something. Mm-hmm. The writer is American. The actors all seemed American. Yes, and the mm-hmm. actors were all American. And the, the girl that was the lead character... Blair. Blair. Uh, I know she was in soap operas oh. and then some other things, and she was like Miss Teen Utah or something. That's great. Initially. Good job, Blair. So we want to talk... Normally we talk about the old movie first, and then we talk about the new movie, but mm-hmm. I thought because Videodrome is so special <laughs> oh, that so we should special. probably leave it, you know, leave the best for last yeah. and talk about... And I, I already know how you feel about Unfriended, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I have a slightly different opinion. but So let's talk about Unfriended first. Okay. Um, Who would like to do the recap? I called not me. I think you could recap this movie in like I don't know Let's sixty hear it. seconds. You should recap most. it. Okay. I'm gonna count. count Are you gonna to time? 60. Yeah. Here we go. Starting now. Some kids look at a computer and then they get picked off one by one because they bullied somebody in the past. Yeah. The end. Yes. Well, how did they bully her? They bullied her by taking her video and putting it up on you know what the was internet. The video of? I want to very to... drunk and she pooped her pants and she pooped her pants. <laughs> she pooped her pants. It was her. It wasn't pants. It was white shorts. It was just even worse. I there. I admire some things about this movie, actually. So if you the the opening scene, you should probably set up what the okay. gimmick is. So yes, this is. movie totally has a gimmick. The gimmick is the only thing you see in this movie is the computer screen of Blair's laptop. That's it. Until the very end. At the very end, she sees something yeah. not on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, the jump scare at the end, I guess. But um, that's it. The yeah. whole movie is so. You would think it would be static. It isn't completely static. No. You see a lot of typing. 
she pulls up windows, she puts windows away. All of her friends are in little chat windows. Mm-hmm. Um, there are five friends? I think so. There's Blair, Val, Jess, Jess, Mitch, Adam, Ken. Six friends well, total. There's no way I would have remembered any of the names. <laughs> I don't know how I did that, but I do remember all the different friends. <laughs> it helps to watch it in closed caption, and then it says um, all of the people who are talking what their names are. Yeah. So the beginning of the movie, uh, Blair is watching a video, watching the video of Laura Barnes' uh, suicide, which had occurred one year. It was the anniversary of her suicide. Oh, was that? I did not pick that up at all. Yes, her boyfriend tells her that okay. way later in the movie. Mitch. Mitch is her boyfriend. Yeah. So uh, after that, then Mitch secret boyfriend. Met, Mitch, no, Mitch no, is her real boyfriend. Her real Adam boyfriend. is her oh. secret. Well, then friend. why were they hiding like the fact that they were video chatting with each other? They were so they just were video sexing with each oh. other. They just were. They were taking their clothes off and such. Yeah, they were okay. just surprised. Them okay, yeah, it was kind All of right. a gross way to start the movie. Actually, yeah. it's very teens. Um, so yeah, she. It starts with her after after that her boyfriend calls her and then they start. Video sexing or whatever, and then and all like, their friends all of a sudden he's, he's pop up. He's wielding a knife screen. and saying, "Take oh, your right. clothes off!" Right, right, right. I forgot about that. That was that was like, part of why it was okay, so, so weird. She seemed to enjoy the knife element. It comes up later. Don't worry. It's Chekhov's. <laughs> it's Chekhov's knife. They're all chatting with each other, and then they notice that there's somebody in their group, in their chat group. Is chat the right word? It's yeah, like, it's a video chat. Skype a... video chat. I don't know if people. I've never done one of those, but I guess it's a group chat. Oh, by the way, let me tell you some things about how this movie movie was filmed. So this movie was filmed in a in a house, I believe. Each one of the actors was isolated in a room of the house, and they were actually they were actually being filmed by I think they were GoPros attached to the screen that they were looking at. Mm. So let me first. I want to interrupt with one plot point. Before they get this group chat, you do see part of the video that led to the girl killing her. Yeah, the video is gradually exposed throughout the movie, more and more of it. Yes, but you see the start of it, like, at the very start of the movie. Right. You Um, see that, you you know that the reason that she kills herself at the beginning of the movie is because she was bullied because of a video that was released of her, and she's very drunk. Um, My question was, then, if they actually film this by them being a separate rooms and Skype or whatever, are the video artifacts of, like, the, the scrambly stuff, is that a special effect put on later? Was that actual video scrambling as part of Skype? I hope it's a special effect I, put on later, because it really added to it. Yeah, it I don't know for a fact the answer to your question, but my guess would be that they did it intentionally post-production. My only reason I, I wonder, the only reason that's ambiguous to me is it's a really scary, weird effect. But in the movie, I kept waiting for that scrambling effect to happen and then something scary to come out of it, and it never does. And right. I was like, oh, maybe that was just like... I had that same expectation. I kept expecting the shape, you know, because what it would be is they'd move and there'd be like a residue of where they used to be. Yeah, with that trail behind. Um, but it never turned into anything. Right. That would have been really a good thing, a mm-hmm. really cool thing, if they had made those shapes meaningful. Right. I assumed that... I thought maybe, hey, if they were actually filming video chat, maybe this is like just an effect that is happening of the video chat and they don't have control over it. Because if they did have control, I would hope they would use it. That they would take control, right. They did not. Which may be one of the reasons this movie wasn't all that it could be. I mean, just because, just the attention to detail of the creators not taking advantage of that. I think that they 
used that enough. I disagree with both of you guys that... No! <laughs> I disagree with both of you guys. No way, man. I'm here and I'm committed to this. I watched that movie and by God, I'm going to talk about it because it was long and it was awful, but I thought that they that they used that um, trick in the movie enough. Um, I think that the emphasis, like the, the parts that they wanted you to pay attention of, like the gross parts, the hand in the blender, the hair curler down the throat, that's what they wanted to be clear, I thought that the scrambling on the screen was more just like to build the tension. And as, as we, as we watched the movie, the scrambling would get worse as you found out more about the story. It was just like one of the things, you know, that, that tells you about the, um, the age of when the story takes place, I guess. It's like, this is, this is, this is one of the realities of video chatting with your friends at home is you don't have the best internet connection sometimes. But I just thought if they, if they had, pushed it if they had pushed it to the level of like you know something scary appears after the scramble happens it, it would have it would have took I away I was with. just expecting the shapes to be more meaningful mm. I was hoping that so if I if I were to make this movie I would have had early on in the movie one of those scrambly shapes should make a face or something scary because then from that point on in the movie when something when the scrambling would happen again you wouldn't be sure but about after a few times it happened and nothing came of it, the shock value kind of wore off. But if they used that even one time, I, that would have put me on edge for the yeah. rest of the movie. And it says well, there's an effect they use in The Exorcist in one of the scenes where, like, the there's, like, a, sh- a face that appears on the screen very briefly, and it, it, it makes all the, like, video effects after that, I think, scarier. But I think that if you, if they were to do something more with the scrambly effects in this movie, then it would have, like driven the plot and driven the storyline a little too much. Like if if the ghost was in the scramble um videos or scramble well, how about videos. this then? What if at the end I mean we haven't really fully described what happens in this movie. Yeah, you said you covered the plot. So <laughs> I'm just... She totally did though. <laughs> they bullied some people they bullied the girl, she killed herself, then they get picked up one by one, the end. By the ghost. Mm-hmm. It's a ghost. Oh spoiler alert, Laura Barnes yeah. is a ghost. But what I was thinking when you were talking was, what if the ghost had been had been in that video scramble in real life, like behind her when she turns at the end and sees the real ghost? What if it had had a video effect? Oh, that'd have been it? great. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a way to stay consistent with that. I think yeah. one thing that I, I we're not talking about video drone yet. No, but. I, I'll be, you know, I read a lot about video drama. <laughs> sure. um, when he wrote the first script, he actually he actually wrote a lot of that type of video effect into the scenes, which he later decided would be uh, distracting or something. He decided not to do that. Oh, okay. Like the but white he, noise and yeah, kind of like oh, white noise, rad. snow, video, yeah. video artifacts. He wrote mm-hmm. them into many of the scenes oh, in the original that. script, and then he changed his mind. Okay. And, I think there are similarities between these two movies. There yeah, totally so. are, especially from... I guess we shouldn't talk about the similarities. Let me we'll ask a to question yeah. to the two of you. And I think I know... Have both of you seen The Ring? Yes. Or Ringu? I have yes. seen The Ring. I may even have seen Ringu, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was in high school for me, which is more than ten years ago. Because that is, I think, the closest relative to Unfriended. And I think The Ring actually maybe makes a better... Like, is maybe a better uh, attempt at a similar idea, which is that in the ring, there's this videotape you watch that, that eventually kills you because like, it's haunted, but there is a lot of scenes where, like, someone's watching that tape, 
where it's very scary. And then at the end, like, the ghost comes out of the TV because That's, they're watching I the tape. I believe it's an homage to Videodrome, by the way. Oh, mm-hmm. is it? And that, that is something I was thinking of, of Unfriended at the end, is like, oh, they should they should do that. She should have there. come out of this. That would have been good, too. Yeah. If the ghost had come out of the laptop. Yeah. Because basically, I mean, what we... There's a ghost haunting them by being on their social network. Yeah. Without, you yeah. know, and they have no control over it and they can't get rid of it. We probably should go into more detail about what goes into so, what happens in this movie. why did the girl kill herself? Oh, oh. I want to say it. Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm hijacking this summary No, please, tell um, me what happens. So, Laura Barnes is this um, kind of antagonistic character in their high school, and she... she they say she's a bully. They, they say that Laura Barnes is a bully, and so what, what Blair does is she takes this video of Laura drunk at a party, wasted, just making a fool out of herself, mm-hmm. and the video ends with um, Laura Barnes passed out drunk, um, shat her shorts <laughs> and um, Blair kind of takes this video selfie laughing and like oh my god look at Laura like this girl who is so I think she says I got her or something to those to that yeah effect. it's some some sort of like revenge type thing and the title and so, of the video is Laura Barnes kill yourself yeah so it's kind of like hey Laura Barnes like you're not that great of a person and who are you to right. um, and after, to, she, after she posts the video then a bunch of people pile on and tell yeah. her to kill herself. All like, the people who, I guess, maybe Laura had bullied, now they're, like, not as shy or any afraid other anymore. in this movie also yes, are, they, they, are complicit in the bullying. Yeah, they, they tell her to kill herself, and she do. She does. Also, at about the middle point of this movie, it is implied that Laura Burns has been molested by her uncle. Very yes. briefly, this is brought up. The family stuff that she was dealing I with. I thought that was really interesting, actually. So, uh, they're asking Blair, you know, Blair is defending Laura Barnes at some, at this point. To, to mention this private chat to her boyfriend. Right. And. I think it's Mitch. She, this, that's one of those, is it one of the scenes where she's typing and she keeps erasing yes, what she's typing? That's exactly. Yeah. And she's about to tell him that, you know, she was abused by her uncle as a child. She I mean, that's the implication. That. You don't see exactly what it is, but yeah. Right. It's... But she, she tells him she was dealing with some stuff and he says what? He doesn't say what. He types what? Yeah. And she starts to type something about her uncle and then she says. She says uncle, then she says family stuff, and then eventually she says it doesn't matter. Right. She does not reveal that Laura Barnes may have had a reason for, had a valid reason for her behavior. And we find out the reason why at the end is because, you know, Blair knew these reasons and yet she got back at her by filming this thing. Right. And so she wouldn't want to say she knows why there's maybe a reason behind Laura's behavior if she still took revenge anyway. She had a chance to defend her and she... She used watch her decide not to. Yes. Now I will because say because she will be embarrassed. I guess she yeah. doesn't want to ally herself with this person who killed herself. Some of the stuff that I like, some of the character motivations in this movie are very like very limited. I don't know how else to put it. Like even Blair has the most character development as the protagonist, but even her. Background and what her motivations are very poorly. Well, you don't know anything about out. any of them. This yeah. is really just like a moment in time out of people's lives. This is like no, nothing happened. I mean, it's real time. The only things that happened before are the Laura Barnes video being released 
and they're they're friends. Like, this is like one semester in in all of their <laughs> lives. It's so funny. Like Laura kills herself at the beginning of one semester, and they're talking about it a year later in the new semester. And it's just like it's. It made this watching this movie made me feel grateful that I only had dial up as a teen, <laughs> and my parents very like were very um watched us like a hawk with our internet usage. We had to take turns on one computer, um, and these teens in this movie get into some real drama, yes. uh, interpersonal yeah. drama of friends sleeping with with friends who are friends of what was the, what's the name of the game. They play five fingers. Oh yeah, but that's the, um, not what they call it's it. It's called Never, Never have, have, I have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. That's at one point after a couple of them have already been killed. Mom, is that a game from your teenhood? That is absolutely a game from Paradise Time. Mm-hmm. Like one hundred percent, we've played this a thousand times in our lifetime. No, but there is a game. Well, like there's that? two truths and a dare. I mean, two truths and a lie. I've never heard of that. Um, no, we have a game. There was a game where you do something. You try to say something you've done that no one else has ever done, or that you've never done that other people have done. Okay, that second example is five is basically. Right. But I have never heard of the five fingers. Okay, and I've played two truths and a lie. I've never played that. But I played it with a bunch of older people. Because five <laughs> at a work thing. Never have I ever heard five fingers is absolutely a game I played a thousand times mm-hmm. as a drinking game at a party. It's like bog standard. Yeah, my guess play. is that it developed from the one where you try to say a thing that you've never done that everybody else has done. Yeah, because this is the opposite. You're trying to say something that you haven't done that everyone else has done, so they have to put their fingers down and take a drink, and you're the last person with all your fingers right. on the There was no drinking involved. You want to be when the I leader played. that hasn't done anything in this game. I'm putting my hand up with my fingers, even though that <laughs> doesn't come up on the podcast. So anyway, they do play that game, and through the game, the Laura Barnes ghost forces them to reveal how they've all betrayed each other. Mm-hmm. They're not and as close-knit friends as... One of the cool... Think. There are some cool stuff in this movie. Yeah, I, I was kind of neutral to it overall. The people I was watching with, my daughter and husband, they were <laughs> glued to the TV. They're idiots, is what I say. <laughs> They're fools. They, Maggie literally said she couldn't take her eyes off of them. That's so funny. And when I read the reviews, they were very similar. So, yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert did not like it. Another reviewer, after he Siskel watched the movie... loved it. Roger Ebert hated it. No. <laughs> when he went home to write the review, every time a sound would pop up, it would skip. You know, <laughs> he's at his laptop and he's getting yeah. those sounds, because they use real sounds. Yeah, they do. They use Skype sound effects. Maybe it's connected to, like, how much you use this technology, because Maggie is um, your daughter, and she's like... It's so never used Maggie that. typically she... doesn't watch a movie, right? So... If we're watching a movie, she'll spend a lot of the time looking at her phone. Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. she did that for this movie. Oh. And one of the other things about this movie is you can't do that. It's ba- you're basically watching a movie with subtitles. You can't yeah, take your eyes off the screen stuff for a lot of it. because if you do, you'll miss yeah, some of the dialogue, that. which is silent. Well, let me give you one complaint I have about this movie that is maybe not doesn't fit in with this other stuff. So early on in the movie, unfriended the. You know, there's this person who keeps showing up in their video chat. It doesn't have a profile. It doesn't have a profile picture. And there's the suggestion like, oh, maybe they're a hacker. Maybe someone is doing this mm-hmm. stuff to mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. But the, And the movie, I think, in its behavior implies like, you don't know if this is supernatural or someone hacking them. But then things will happen in the movie that are clearly supernatural. And 
up till the very end of the movie, the movie is kind of ambig- ambiguous about whether the characters believe this is a supernatural event or a physical thing, like someone's actually doing this this to them. But the things that actually happen in the movie are very clearly supernatural. Right. The first death, for example. That was one of the cool... I thought the first death was pretty cool. Yeah, what I think so, too. the one that died first? The late, she's Val? in the laundry room, and she's got a you, bottle of bleach, and she goes, That's Val. Ah! Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you knew she was yeah. going to die. I knew she was going to be the first oh, person. Oh, for sure. Because... She wasn't there at the beginning of the chat. Mm-hmm. Nobody liked her. Mm-hmm. Then they brought her in. I thought it was going to be Ken, honestly, when they first did. He was number two, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I liked he Val. Val was my favorite of all the gals. Yeah, right, but the cool thing about that scene was you, they're all looking at Val. They can see Val through her laptop computer. Yeah. No, she's not moving. She's not moving. And it's as if it's a, fi- it's a still screen. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. nothing's moving. Except then her phone rings because they call her. And you see the phone slowly... Yeah, that was really across. good. How did they do that? Was she just very still? I think she must have been very still. I think she just acted that. She didn't even blink. Yeah, it was a good... That was a good... Yeah, that was a very good effect. Mm-hmm. And the other one that I thought was really impressive was the one where they, the two characters, Blair and the guy that she slept with, Adam? Adam. Adam. They have a note, but you don't know what it says. Right. They both receive... On a fax machine? I don't know. Yeah. I had a hard time telling what was going that on was with this weird. whole premise. But, okay, so they both receive a, a, note, a note. A physical note. Through technology. You hear yeah, his... I disagree you with you that his, this is cool, because I think it's That so, part's not cool. Because um, it sounded like a fax machine, and nobody has a fax machine. I guess it was his printer connected to... The internet. I don't know. I'm just shrugging and making <laughs> well, a face. Well, it's a ghost. It can do things. Yeah. But why anyway, they, they both have a message, and at this point, Mitch, Blair's boyfriend, knows that Blair has slept with Adam, mm-hmm. even though she hasn't slept with him. Yeah. You right. know that betrayed. because at the beginning she says, "I want it to be on prom night," as if that's the first time she's going to have sex at all. Right. Yeah, because that's the implication. Because they're cool with sexting, but there's like a limit on what the what right. Blair's. So at this point, Mitch is aware that Adam and. Laura, Blair. Blair. I keep wanting to call her Laura, but her name's Blair. Yeah. Blair and Adam have slept together, and they each have a note, and a lot of them are dead at this point. There's four people left, I think, at this point. The blonde is still there. No, Val dies first. No, no, no. Val isn't blonde. Val blonde, is like red-headed The one who, is, the one who dies with the, the curling iron. She's Jess. You see her yeah. at the beginning. It's... Check out curling iron. You see her at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, for some they really reason, line up all straightening her hair while talking on a chat, which you, I don't think you do, because you might burn your hair. If you I wouldn't do many of the things they do yeah. talking on chat. <laughs> okay, but let me get through this. So, they both have a note. Laura, the ghost, has told them, you cannot show him the note. Yes. He's going to hang up. If he hangs if up, you don't, be, If you don't show me that note, I'm hanging up. He, meaning right. Mitch. Mitch is going to hang up. Mm-hmm. If he hangs up, he dies. So Laura, Laura Blair, Blair the shows Blair. the note. The note says, if you show this note, Adam will die, and Adam immediately mm-hmm. dies. Yeah, how, he stabs himself in the face with a knife? No, is what is his, he has a gun. Oh, he just They all him. have a weapon, it's like Clue. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, I guess if Mitch you consider a, a blender and a weapon. <laughs> right. Ken oh, kills yeah. himself with a blender, I guess. Mm-hmm. What's her face must have drunk the bleach? It's not clear. Yeah, Val. She goes, bah! and dies. <laughs> but there is an open bottle of bleach. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I think so... Ken does. Ken um, puts his hand in a blender, but he also like puts something to his neck. 
I, I don't so know what. Immersion blender? I read a thing later that says the blender breaks. I didn't notice this, but this is what I saw. That the blender breaks and he, the, ex, like the blender explodes and he gets cut by a piece of glass. Oh, oh I didn't see that either. Or, oh, he maybe, must, or maybe he what, cut himself with it. That's yeah. what went into I did not throat. see any of this, but that's what I read. So, I mean, that is kind of a, that was, that's pretty, I guess, heavy handed is the word. For I don't know. The thing that kills them all. The Stuff. only person who gets killed by a ghost is Blair, because she lives to the end. Yeah. Until she's killed, literally killed by the a phys- ghost physical with the computer ghost. turned off. So one thing I'm unclear about is, did the ghost make them do this stuff? <laughs> You're unclear. I think in this movie. Yes, because it's <laughs> <laughs> there's so many things. This movie, I, yeah. I think there's like a weird generational gap or something. I don't know. This but, movie's only two years old, at most. Yeah, but it is about teens. Based on things that teens are doing, because like right. me, I'm oh, watching this. Oh, going... and by the way, the actors were ranged from thirty. Twenty six mm. was the youngest. That was Ken. Oh. Yep. To I'm not something surprised. over thirty. Yeah. These these. I am somebody who has many times had a group audio chat with many of my friends because we'll we'll do audio chats while we like play video games or something. Right. But a group video chat seems nonsensical to me. I wouldn't want to have a group video chat because half the time I'm like getting up to go get a snack or something. I've never, never done a group audio chat nor have I done a group video chat. Maybe I'm just outing myself as a lame loser who has never I, been invited to these things. Lame-o loser but, doesn't get invited. Uh, but, you know, these things that, that's, that kind of behavior for me is not commonplace. Well, like, I'm going to let that go because how else would you make a movie? Sure. If sure. You're not, and it does make sense to want to make a movie like this, the, the and other of the movie, idea other, good... other things have made movies similar to this. Like that, there's an episode of Modern Family entirely done on devices. They go from one device to another. That would make more sense. And, you're not trapped and, at your laptop, right? And more, it's way happen. more dynamic. And then there's a movie called Tangerine, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is really good, which is also filmed entirely on um, devices. But it, they're actually out in the world doing things. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just a little funny, a little goofy that all of this is supposed to be taking place in these teens' households, yet there are no parents in these households, yeah. no siblings. They all seem to have giant, luxurious rooms to themselves. Maybe this is just like, you know, <laughs> no. the demographic of these teens with their broadband and internet, but... Um, their iPhones. Even, yeah, it's just... It's just um, it's, a little unbelievable, like, from the start. But, I mean, that's what a lot of scary movies are. Yeah. So. And that was one of the comments that Lance, my husband, made was that this is a horror movie. It's a, it's a morality play. They did something bad. And yeah, then although it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, well, it was like, um, I know what you did last summer. Sure. But I think that the thing that some of them did seems way out of proportion to their horrible, grisly deaths. But, but I guess a, that's a horror that's movie. That's what ghosts do. And Laura that, doesn't care. She's dead. She's like, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> that, I don't bo- think that's the problem with movie. No. The thing <laughs> that bothered me the most... Well, okay, there's a couple things that bother me. One, none of the characters are likable at all. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a morality play. That's a horror movie thing. I'm willing to let some of that go. I actually thought Blair did a good job of being likable up until the point that you discovered that she's a horrible person. I don't even know that I felt like she was a horrible person after you find out the end. I mean, I think she did a horrible thing, but... Like... She it's did not, more than one horrible It's thing. not clear to me what Ken did that caused him to put his hand in a blender and kill himself with a glass jar. I think they all contributed to the string of uh, 
uh, you know, bullying, bullying that told where yeah. people were telling her to kill herself. But or maybe they just crazy. maybe Laura knew that this was a close knit group of friends that she could prey on, and like they're all together, they all hang out. They well, two of them good. were directly responsible for her. Yeah, family. yeah. The two that lasted the longest. Mitch uh, posted the video, and Blair, Blair, and Blair shot, shot the video. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That that part bothered me. It really did bother me that the movie makes it unclear or tries to suggest that it's unclear whether this is a real thing happening by a hacker or a ghost. But a lot of stuff that happens is clearly unrealistic, let's say, supernatural. And then stuff will happen like, oh, there's an extra video camera in Ken's room in a like laundry basket and finds or We actually don't see know what he sees in there. No, we don't. There's a lot of stuff it, we don't see. I, now that you say that, I bet Laura was in there. Maybe. He looks in there and he's horrified and then it, everything goes maybe. dark and then he immediately dies. And then he kills himself, yeah. So you don't know what he sees, and I doubt it's a video camera, because if he saw a video camera, he wouldn't be terrified. Yeah, you're like, eh, whatever. But, I mean, the, the whole thing is early on, they're like, oh, I don't know, it could be a hacker doing this. So but, no, clearly it's not. You're it's saying it's inconsistent, like the villain in this movie. I think it's scary. At the point where they think it's a hacker, I don't think anyone's died other than the first girl who they think had a seizure. Yeah, They're but they, they don't it. figure it out for a while that like, oh, I went on Facebook to unfriend her, but the button's just not there. Oh, I know. They have lots of, they have a lot of technical difficulties. And I'm like, this is not a, this is not a hacking problem. You're clearly dealing with something that is impacting your access to this stuff. There's stuff going on. I mean, if this was a hacker, alright, everybody close your laptops well, and go Well, I think you it's know, calling like, it a ha- the, the hacker idea doesn't make any sense. People don't hack so that they can join your chat group. Why? Yeah, what? Eh, with, with no profile picture. This and, and then yeah. But, but some of the technical problems they had, if I had them, I wouldn't go. Oh, a ghost is doing this. No, like, I, the I fact that I, you can't reply or forward or something. Mm-hmm. That some features that you that you expect to see are not present. Yeah, there's some goofy stuff though. My favorite part in this movie. Um, aside from the hand in the blender part, which I thought was very cool. <laughs> that's great. Um, my favorite part was the chat roulette part where they're well, totally, they're totally like, um, referencing this thing in the world that was a huge, I'm not sure if chat roulette is a huge thing anymore, but that is something I, that dates it as well. I, I wrote this whole, like, I don't know, I had to write a blog post assignment for this internet, um, privacy, class that I took in law school and I wrote all about chat roulette mm-hmm. and how it's dangerous because it shows your IP address and perhaps some people could sh- like pinpoint lo- your location and then find you and then who knows what will happen but um, I just like the part about chat roulette and how all these strangers who are casually just meeting up on the internet through video chat one stranger just happens to just be like, okay, I think you need help. Let me try and help you. And she... Right. Well, let's just... For people who may not have watched the movie, let's describe how she uses it. Okay. So, basically, she sees that the blonde, the one who kills herself with the hot iron... She didn't kill herself. The one that gets killed by the hot iron. um, She is obviously about to be killed by the ghost. Mm -hmm. And they already know they can't call the police because they've tried calling the police and it was... It was obviously Laura Barnes on the line. So, instead of calling the police, she... That's supernatural. chat roulette. Yes, because they and love then, the internet. They know the internet. And it just kind of cycles through all these people yeah, who want to meet roulette. up. And eventually she and she keeps saying, My friends Help are me. Being, we're being attacked. Please send someone to this address. And she finally gets to someone who says, Okay, who then calls the police and says, Hey, something's going on. I think going on. killed, honestly, which I thought maybe would have been better, but I liked it that she finally found somebody. It, they did manage to make it 
know, tense. I did. Yeah. I actually didn't laugh about that part. <laughs> I thought the Chatterlin part was the most one of the most effective parts. Yeah, I thought was. It, I thought it was. So I maybe it was most effective because I thought I could really see this maybe happening in yeah, real life. That's exactly. Like it, right? you're you're trying to see what resources you have at your laptop, and you're just like. Chat roulette, I guess. Let me just try this, like, last-ditch... Oop, last-ditch effort. Oh, no. I just spilled my drink in excitement. Um, <laughs> and it's full of green blood. Right, well, we're so going to have to pause blood. this for a second. Oh, uh, yeah, right. I guess we should pause it. One, two, three, pause. I'm paused right now. So I thought the chat roulette scene was so exciting because it, it was um it was maybe the most realistic thing to me that in yeah. this movie... You know, that worked for me. It that's exactly what chat roulette is. You're video chatting with a bunch of strangers. They care or they don't. There's more They're, nudity in real life. Yeah, there's more nudity in real life. You're into it or you're not. But this one person on chat roulette who's just you know kind of chilling realizes, hey, maybe this person is really needing some help. Let me try and help. I liked that actress's approach to somebody screaming on the internet that they need help. Okay, I mean she was just so. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm gonna. I'll buy it. I'm gonna call the police for you. She's like born to be a 911 operator, just very (laughs) calm and like, okay, let me give you the benefit of the doubt and let me make this phone call. Yep. So the reason I liked that scene was number one, I thought it was realistic as to the number of people who were like, no, don't want to be interested in this. As she's like trying to use the (laughs) one resource. She's screaming at them. We're being attacked. But I also thought that that was to me the the moment the movie actually like. Made it made good on what I assumed was kind of the point, which is you're on the internet. You can connect to anybody in the world. You can connect to all your friends, but you're also very limited in your ability to connect with them. And like this yours? is her like going through a number of people telling her like I'm being attacked, and a bunch of people are like not interested. This is weird. Like, and that to me was the moment where the internetiness and the gimmick of this movie meant something. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Do you think this movie had a message? I think this movie had a message. I had it. I think it Wait, had a let me couple rephrase messages. It. Do you think this movie had intentionally had a message? Yes. I think it intentionally had a message. I don't think it made good on that message. It did Agree. not. So I watched an interview with the writer, the writer okay. and producer, I believe, and the writer mm-hmm. is also a producer of this movie. And they, they literally said, "We made a movie. We uh, the premise came from uh, another uh, one of the other producers okay. who had been wanting to do a movie like this for 15 years, apparently." I think it's a better idea than movie. Right. So he said, I want to make this movie. They went ahead, you know, and that's the movie that they made. Mm-hmm. But they literally said in the interview, if you got something more out of it than that, then great. Oh, <laughs> that's too bad. I think this movie, if I, if I, if it has, if, if they intended to make a message and... I wish they would have intended to make a message. Yeah, it would yeah, have I mean, been. I mean, it was about bullying. How yeah. Can you not. How can there not be a message it's, if your whole movie's based on? Yeah, bullying? it's it's supposed to be like, hey, you know, like this internet that this these these um, technologies that we have at our fingertips, you shouldn't abuse them. People are still human, even if you have access to the internet and can post things and can share stories. Like the people that you hurt. They're they're not just people on the internet. They're people in real life who feel bad, who feel embarrassed, who feel ashamed. And you should you should you know I know it's cheesy, but with great power comes great responsibility. You well, should. And I would suggest that I mean there is a there is a period in your life when you are a teenager when all of that is way more powerful. Mm-hmm. When you're an adult and you have some, you're you have some. 
uh, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but it's like stability, like like weight at holding you down and yeah. and you, you have knowing, like some personal strength. Right, you have personal strength. You have had personal. experience. You've gotten through some, some adversity. Yeah, um, but as teens. Your body is and mind are conspiring against you to be more affected by these things, and yeah. you have less uh, resources and knowledge to to address them. And when you're exposed without your consent, it's just that much more life shattering because you don't know how to deal with it, and it's so widespread because technology is the way that it is today, and it's just so damaging. So even though Laura Barnes was this person that was supposed to be this antagonistic bully, like whatever caused her, whatever bullying she did, you know, she ended up killing herself because she was bullied in this way that she, she couldn't to death. Yeah, she was bullied yeah. to death and I don't I think if this movie had a message it would be like be careful of how you use the internet to hurt others. Especially if you're not, if they're not in on it. But like, at the same time, so, it was a horror movie, so yeah, everybody who did the bad thing got killed. And every to horror movie the, is like a moral tale, you know. Like to me, the message of this, the movie was trying to make, based on the the stuff that Laura Barnes did as a ghost, was that the internet and your group chats and, and the stuff you can, the communication you make on the internet seem white, but they're not. You can tell somebody like, "Haha, kill yourself," or do these like goofy like, memes of stuff, but that doesn't take away the emotional weight of it. Yeah. It suddenly reminded me of that, uh, that commercial against, oh, it oh, was to the, the awareness, was, yeah, the keep, being aware of, of whether teens are at risk, media, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which affected everyone who watched it that I know of differently. Yeah. Me, me and your dad, we were totally like, oh my god, what just happened? I don't know. If, I don't know how to describe it to the audience so they know what. So there is a, was it's a public Canadian service public message. Service? I, don't, I, don't I don't know. It's a Canadian. public service message. You're watching a video about a guy, a teen oh, guy. Right. He is flirting with and kind of falling in love with this girl. He's in class through, with this. through desk writing. He doesn't yeah, he's know who leaving. She is. He's in like detention. He's writing on his desk. Somebody writes him back. He's trying to figure out who it is. At the end, he figures out who it is, and he asks her to prom or something. Well, they're all standing around. They they realize... Signing yearbooks. They oh, realize, yearbook, based right. on the signature in the yearbook, that they right. recognize each other, and then all of a sudden, a door opens behind yeah. them in the gym, and a guy comes and shoots everybody. A and student. Yeah. A fellow and, student. And unless you... And it goes back, and it shows you all the previous scenes where this... you see this guy who with the gun, you see him... The behaviors he's put forth previously in the background. In the background, yes. You see him shooting people with a finger. You see him looking at the internet, looking at guns. Somebody's flipping through pictures on Instagram, and he flips by, and he's shooting the lens. He's got, like, a gun, and he's, like, pointing it at the lens. And it's like, hey... People watching this ad, you should be aware of what people are posting on social media. Be aware of the warning signs for a shooter, for an active shooter. I thought it was more for teachers. Uh, who knows? And maybe even high school students. Yeah. But the So this is how it went. I had no idea what it was going to be, and I was completely surprised and shocked when they came and he shot everybody, and then they showed me the images, and I was like, I didn't see any of that stuff. And Lance watched it, and he had the same response. And then... Maggie watched it, but she already knew in her she already knew well she also knew that there was something to to, to see there's to, something in that it. there was something in it, you know, like a twist ending, yeah, she saw every one of the things before <laughs> the before okay. the shooter Good on yeah. um, and then you guys watched it, and you had different opinions, yeah, about I was it. like, well, I see it, but who would who's actually monitoring the Instagram release teens and you know yeah, 
yeah. mixed feelings, let's say. I thought it was a it was a little cheesy, but I think it it appealed to the people who are like in, who work with teens in close proximity, or maybe they're like their guidance counselors, their parents, or whatever who who might have some insight as to how their teen uses the internet. I don't know. I'm right. shrugging. So I, I have. Now I can't remember why. I don't know. It was a long time ago. It's about social media. Yeah. I mean, the the thing that I wanted to say is I feel like this movie, if it had a message, is trying to say something about how you want to take things that are posted on the internet lightly or you want to take the posts you make on the internet lightly, but actually they have meaning. And if somebody kills themselves, there's the meaning right there. They're not just like these transient, passing, non-temporary things. They're these things that have like a real effect on the people that you're posting them to. Like, people aren't just online personas. They are people, people behind the screens. And I think this movie does a good job at showing, like, hey, you know, these, all of these teens are on their screens and they're video chatting, but, like, there's real-life consequences to their behavior. I think that, to me, the problem with Unfriended is that it, because the characters are so unlikable, because there's some real oh. limits in the movie, that the gimmick of this all being through a screen doesn't land entirely. And part of me thought, well, this is a good gimmick. Like, there are effective moments here as somebody who uses a screen a lot. Like, I can you can connect with these characters on that level. That, like, hey, there's a gimmick here that could be exploited. But to some extent, I feel like if somebody else made a movie, I'd just go, well, I've seen Unfriended. I know what this gimmick is, and I don't want to watch another movie like this, even a better one. Even if mm-hmm. you did it better, yeah. Like, I think I they think, got a one-shot of this. I do think that the... I do think that the problem... I mean, this is just a theory. But my theory... Based on the fact that they weren't trying to deliver a message, they were just sure. trying to execute execute this gimmick. They picked something really relevant, yeah, but that wasn't in their minds. Um, the fact that they didn't use certain elements, like we talked on, you know, at the beginning, mm-hmm. there were things that appeared on the screen that a really good director, like a let's say a Cronenberg, for example, or sure. a Terry Gilliam. They would not allow any one piece to not be meaningful. Right? Yeah, was kind of careless. Yes, I think yeah. I think they did a I think they did a decent job. It was a watchable movie, oh, but it wasn't. It did not. I would say good. I disagree. I don't think yeah. it was that good. Was, I don't think it was that watchable. It was not very watchable. And I think if you can if you compare it to other movies like with the same sort of plot, like I know what you did last summer is. Yeah, it's like true. this movie where a group of friends did something shitty to someone and now each of them get killed one by one. Like with I Know What You Did Last Summer, you can see so much of the people, so much of each teen's personality in their bedrooms and in their homes. So you know. I don't remember how you, what, so much what you did last detail. summer that well. Do they explain... Don't they hit somebody and then bury them? They yeah, hit... they said they explain that early in the movie. Yeah, though, it's right? like a hit and run, and they like just try to bury, just try to you cover know, it up, cover yeah. it up. But there, you know, there's a weird sister of the person who died, and there's just like all this, you know, it's it's something that you can't really cover up. And the thing that they're paying for with their lives is that they tried to cover up this thing that this. <laughs> their murder of someone. Why that works better than Unfriended to me is that Unfriended only reveals the bad stuff they did at the end. And that doesn't, like, there's there's very little meaning if you only find out later, like, oh, you're all shitty, as it turns yeah. out. Oh, but you already know that. You didn't like any of them to begin with. Right, but I don't want to not, I want to like them 
and know they did something bad, not not like them, and then later find out these people I didn't like also did something bad? Like, who cares then? Good, they should all die. I, so, like, I would say, don't waste your time with <laughs> I It was so boring. I felt like I wasted my time. Yeah, so, I, very have a, I have a segue into video drama. Let's do it! Video and drama! it is this. Woo! So, we just watched, I'm Unfriended, the movie that we just talked about, is is focused on the, like what you were saying, the bad effect of spending all your time looking at, you know, what social media has, well, I don't know, we talked about it, yeah. how social media is powerful and you should be careful with it, etc. Sure, yeah. So when Videodrome was made, we were at the height of, I don't know if we were at the height of it, but there was a lot of discussion about how violence in video games and violence on TV can adversely affect children. Yeah, affect their mental state. Right. So let's go to Videodrome. Yeah. <laughs> there, I thought that... Um, can, we just synopsize it. Can I synopsize it? Yeah, you synopsize it. I've seen it the most. I've also written down on my notes what I think the events of Videodrome are separate from the plot. But Videodrome is a, mostly about uh, James Wood. He plays the character of Max Wren. He is the director. I don't know what the right term for it is. He runs a small cable channel. Did they say what city he's in? Is he in New York? Actually, no, I'm not sure. They don't. They didn't he's say. Not he's, just, he's, he's not in Pittsburgh. He's not in LA. Pittsburgh, right. Uh, he's in New York mm, or Chicago. Twin maybe. Towers. Um, there, there, there was Twin, Twin Towers. No, well, maybe movie. No, there was Twin Escape Tw- of New York. I, we watched Escape of New York. Escape from New York last night. There was. Twin I think Towers he may be in New York, but he he is Sorry. a small channels. In reality, he's in Canada. Owner. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and he is trying to find new things to show on his channel, specifically pornographic, softcore, softcore porn, or violent things that will get more viewers. Uh, and they already show that kind of stuff, but he's looking for something a little more... He wants something more intense, aggressive. he wants to get something more aggressive so that he can get more viewers. He has a, uh, a guy who works for him, or an associate... Who I can't remember his name. The guy keeps calling him Patron. Right. Um, who gets reaches out on a pirate radio station or pirate video station, finds a pirated video of something called Videodrome, which is basically just people being tortured and murdered in a, a what looks like a soundstage, basically, by people in hazmat suits. They're not just being murdered. There's a sex element to it. There's yeah, a- naked naked women. Yeah, in fact, they're women, all women. They're all women. Yes, yeah. women being whipped and electrocuted, basically. None of the victims are male. He also then appears as on a um, what's right, a panel show with Professor Oblivion, who only appears on screen. Who only appears on screen. Oh, let me rephrase that. He is there is a television on the yes, stage. He only appears. And he is on the television by television. Uh, and Nikki Brand, who is a radio personality who does, like... Uh, Self-help, or help. Yeah, help. Call in and I'll help you with your problems. Uh, he meets Nikki Brand, who he's immediately attracted to, and basically says, like, hey, I'm a sexy lady. Um, they connect, and she's very interested in Videodrome, which he's taken home on, on Betamax tape to watch in his apartment. Um, and she is a... Sadist? He's a masochist. Masochist. She likes to be hurt. She likes to be hurt. She has cuts on her shoulder when they first meet, and she's like, please cut me. That kind of has a parallel to um, to Unfriended with 
Blair saying, ooh, I'm turned on by that knife. Um, So he gets into this sort of sadomasochistic relationship with Nikki Brand. Um, He starts investigating. uh, Although he's not into it. He's, he's willing to go along with it, but he does, he quickly goes past his comfort level. He realizes that he got a little too into it than he would have, than he thought he would when they, when he pierced her second ear and then they all of a sudden got on this weird stage and then he's like, oh, whoa, yes. that was weird. He, yeah, he starts hallucinating some video drumy stuff. And, and during the, him and Nikki having sex and, and talking to each other, their video drum was playing in the background. Uh, he starts investigating where Videodrome comes from. His pirate friend tells him it's actually being brought... Originally, he thinks it's broadcast out of Malaysia, but actually it's broadcast out of Pittsburgh. Uh, he talks to Masha, who is his friend who provides him with mostly softcore porn, it seems like. Basically provides him with stuff he shows on his channel. And she says that she'll look into it, and she thinks, okay, well, actually, she tells Max, this is real, this is not... Uh, a show about torture and murder. This is actual torture and murder. But if you want to learn more, go talk to Professor Oblivion. Uh, Nikki goes off to Pittsburgh to audition. For audition. She video says she has to go there for work. He later find, Max later finds out this is not true, but she wants to audition for Videodrome. She loves it so much. Yeah, she's into it. Uh, Max tries to reach out to Professor Oblivion, who runs the Cathode Ray Mission. And his daughter, Bianca Oblivion, uh, runs the mission for him and says that he only appears by videotape. So he gives Max some videotapes about Videodrome. Uh, Max watches them and Professor Oblivion says, I actually created a, uh, Videodrome. On the video. On the video. Because you find out later that he's dead. Yeah. He's been dead for a while. He's been dead for a while, but he's on the video. He says, I created Videodrome. It developed in my brain. It caused a tumor in my brain, which killed, which eventually I don't know if he says he killed me. Later, he's find out he's dead. Bianca later tells you that he died on an operation. Operating tape. The video drum came from his mind. Um, you find out, kind of as this goes, that... Um, I'm Max, beginning to wonder whether it's even... Whether there's any point to trying to synopsize I'm going to do my best. It's, so, I, so Max watches this video from Professor Oblivion... He goes and talks to the his pirate friend who says, I haven't been having any hallucinations. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I forget. Who connects him up with um, Harry Convex? Barry Convex? Barry Convex. He gets who? a letter. Or he gets he, a phone call. Yeah, Barry Convex con- contact him. Okay. And says, Come to me yeah. at the eyeglasses store. Spectacular <laughs> optical. <laughs> Spectacular optical. Uh, Matt's friend is having increasingly complicated and unpleasant hallucinations about video. Which includes, like, a tummy video. vagina? He's got a tummy vagina. <laughs> into which he inserts a gun. He puts his gun in there. He hides his gun there. It his, comes back later. His assistant comes over and he thinks he beats her up, but he doesn't. It's Cronenberg's gun. Yes, it's Cronenberg's gun. Um... He goes and confronts Barry Convex, asking him what's the deal with Videodrome. Barry Convex says... Puts a super cool helmet on yeah, his head. Yeah, this amazing helmet. <laughs> Best says, part of the re- movie. We're going to record your hallucinations. Uh, he has a hallucination or dream where he murders Masha, the lady who provides him the video. His porno fairy godmom. He calls over his friend, the pirate guy, who says, there's nothing... I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see any of the stuff you're seeing. Uh, he eventually goes to the studio to con- to look at Videodrome, and his engineer pirate friend says, actually, I don't know what you're talking about, I haven't seen any of this. 
I've actually been working with Very Convex this whole time. Our intention is to take over your television station and use it to broadcast I Videodrome. Guess it to... sounds like their plan is to destroy everyone who likes Videodrome mm -hmm. so that only the good people are left. Yes, he says we have to, there's too many people, the people are weak and impure. We're going to show Videodrome on your channel to destroy them, so you need to go murder the other owners of your channel. So only the people who, they their goal, Barry Convex's goal is to destroy the people who kind of like that stuff yes. and yes. who That's watch that stuff, consumers of the Videodrome. And that somehow will make us a tougher country. Yeah. So Max goes <laughs> and kills his co-owners. He goes to kill Bianca Oblivion, and she uses Professor Oblivion's videotapes or something to... She somehow cures him of his, the influence of Videodrome. Cures him from the influence of Videodrome, turns it around on him and sort says, of. go kill Very Convex and the pirate uh, engineer, which he does. Then he goes and runs away because he's now wanted by the police and hallucinates a video of Nikki Brand saying, you've basically surpassed your human body, kill yourself, and he does. This is at the end. <laughs> towards the end of the movie is when I say, man, that lady looks so much like Debbie Harry, and Deb says, because it is Debbie <laughs> Harry. And I'm just like, oh, duh. Well, okay, and that's why she looks so much like Debbie Harry. Although I learned yesterday that she no longer goes by Debbie. <gasps> what? It's Deborah Harry. Aww. Oh, no. I saw a documentary of um, her and Blondie last year that I thought was pretty cool, and she I thought she was still going by Debbie by then. So I wrote down on this piece of paper in front of me, two pieces of paper, what I think actually happened in this movie that was not a hallucination. But you've actually done some research, Mom, about this movie, and I'll, I'm not sure if you want me to read this now. Well, or do, Let me say another connection that this has with Unfriended. Okay. Remember how I said I watched an interview where they said if this movie meant something, you know, if it had, <laughs> yeah. if, if you think there was like some sort of message, well, Good that's for you. great. Um, this movie is kind of the same. Okay. Cronenberg <laughs> basically said, I'm Canadian. I'm not giving you any messages. What have I got to give messages? <laughs> um, so, but there's this movie, the making of this movie is just insane crazy. Okay. That's um, not hard to believe. He, he wrote the first draft. It was way more uh, extreme. Oh. than what we saw, what? and apparently that's his method, or was at the time, in 1981, when he wrote this. Yeah, he seems more chill now. Um, his method was to write beyond... So apparently in the original script, there's a scene where Max and... Who's the, what's Deborah Harry's character? Nikki. Nikki Max Brand. and Nikki uh, are kissing, and their faces melt, melt together, and then slide off, <laughs> and then move over to another person and melt that person. Oh. That sounds great. That's I wish they wouldn't have taken that out yeah. because that uh, sounds And then, cool. like I said, there were the video effects in each scene, and uh, there was supposed to be a scene where the flesh, the flesh TV rises out of a bathtub, where James Woods is like oh, looking in a mirror, yeah. and behind him is his bathtub, and he sees like some video effects in the mirror. And he turns around and nothing's happening, and then he goes over to let the water out of the bathtub, and a Flesh TV rises out of the bathroom, <laughs> and it's got Masha on it, and she's saying, they killed me, I wasn't supposed to tell you, you know, whatever she okay. told her. I so, so there were a bunch more, it was more extreme. This is what he showed to his producers, and they loved it. Uh, but they said, okay. I'm not sure you can do any of this stuff. And he said, well, it's more extreme even than I would think. 
you could film. Yes. I, I gotta say that the special effects in this movie that we that we all watched in um, Videodrome were so good. I love special effects before CGI ever right. really they're existed. All, um, practical effects. Yeah, they're all like props. Someone made these gross-looking <laughs> guts and these pulsating, veiny, fleshy televisions and these like blobby, like fake stomach vaginas and these fake like video <laughs> sphincters and it's just like <laughs> I just love that someone created that with their hands and got got oh, really so got really yeah. like technical with how they wanted to make this as gross as possible. And I just I loved all the special effects. I couldn't look away. Like if if I'm talking about a film that I couldn't look away even though it was terrible, like just gross, it's this movie. I didn't want to yeah. look away because I thought like how artistic and creative these um, gross things were that I saw on screen. And I love David Cronenberg movies. He's one of my favorite directors. I've watched most of his movies, and that is maybe one of the things that I like best about him, and, and this also makes his movies hard to, hard to watch, is he preys on feeling uncomfortable. Well, he will okay. show so they... things that are, make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, in a horror movie, or even in his more recent movies, are not horror movies, but there will be things that are unpleasant to see. I think this movie might be the epitome of this particular time in his Yeah, this is the creation. fly are probably the two Right, the fly comes, came next, I believe. But yeah. This is a genre called body horror. So instead of the monster being outside of you, the, mo- mm. you, the monster is inside of you and it grows from yeah. inside of you, like the fly and like the brood. And dead and, ringers and, and dead zone and scanners. Dead zone, I don't... Is dead zone? I don't know if dead zone yeah. qualifies, but... Um, Scanners probably does. Scanners qualifies. There are other movies that Cronenberg didn't make, like Black Swan totally falls into that oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Um And the other thing, the other term that was applied to it was techno-surrealism. Oh, I've heard that. Um, and I, one of the reasons I picked Unfriended is because we have all these movies now that are that are device-oriented, mm-hmm. like Blair Witch Project, for example. I wonder if they named Blair... Blair because of Blair Witch Project, oh, which is totally the predecessor to yeah, this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but sir, what? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, techno surrealism. Yeah. I think this totally qualifies because basically there's a lot of surreal stuff going on, and it's all right. technology based. Yeah. So let me tell you what I think actually happened. Okay. I, want, I want to get your your thoughts on this because I've seen this movie a few times. I really like it, although there are parts of it that don't. Like, it doesn't all line up. And a lot of it is left ambiguous. So this is basically what I think Towards happens mm-hmm. if based on what people say, but not on what could be written off as a hallucination. So Professor Oblivion says he came up with Videodrome. He had a brain tumor that caused, like, basically visual things he saw video to manifest physically. Well, he said that his hallucinations caused the brain tumor and not the other way around. But he also says that, like, what you see and what you experience are basically one and the same. Yeah. That what you see on, and, and his, his like mission is about what you see as video is an experience that is as more than reality. Well, I, I know you're trying to get through your summarization, but there's whole like classes in philosophy, even in undergrad philosophy about how perception is the only reality and there is no actual reality. What you perceive is the only thing that's real. I, would, I took a class I, in, I'm going to, I disagree with that. But what I, I disagree with What I would say is what you see is what you experience. So it may form you, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make it real. And I have real, I'm in a, 
what's going on in our world today <laughs> yeah <laughs> makes me very concerned about people people saying what is real is what real. I see mm-hmm. is is real yeah it's not necessarily what I see but there is real thing things are real and yes. true there are facts yes I agree with that completely and so that's why I kind of my my philosophy of perception class kind of glazed over me because I'm just like I don't know I don't think I completely buy this um I had one thing I wanted to say you know how I had said the first draft of this movie uh, was more extreme and I I need to finish that which is that yeah. he never really finished writing the dra- the hmm. script that they that were stuff. making yeah. until like the last day even up to the last day he was still rewriting things and handing out new I believe that 100% yeah. that's cool all right so professor oblivion creates videodrome it sounds like he creates it from like a physically like he evolves or something happens well he makes he... a lot of videotapes and they seem to deliver the message yeah right? he's got clearly got some supernatural powers as a result of this. So he's created Videodrome or this video format where if you see the videos that he's made, it, if nothing else, makes you hallucinate. He says it causes brain tumors and it makes you open to suggestion. And he's using that as the mission for his, I don't know, church, basically. basically. He's called Professor Oblivion. He runs a mission for homeless people. Cathode Ray Mission. The Cathode Ray Mission. And his daughter basically implies, like, hey, we have the homeless people coming here to watch videotapes. Oh, and there's a wait. Watching TV will patch them back into the world's mixing board. Yeah, (laughs) so I thought that was pretty weird. If their philosophy is that watching TV will will help them socialize, you know, because if they're homeless, they're not... They're kind of the connection to the world. They're cast-offs of society and they don't get to see what everyone else sees on their TV. Um, I thought that was kind of a weird philosophy because what they're watching on that television in the cathode ray mission is not what everyone Open else heart surgery. Yeah, it's not what everyone else is privy to on their, you know, local news channels and just like basic cable TV. But channels. there is I mean, you could connect that to things people say today about isolation and mm-hmm. I'm comfortable. <laughs> I'm feeling comfy. Karen's hugging her sweatshirt. I am. It feels yeah. nice. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is uh, the way that we use computers now is to connect ourselves to mm-hmm. other people. And I, that is, this, that's kind of, I mean, it's, sure. what's that word? It's, um, it's relevant? Predicting the future, oh. basically. Yeah. Where get your dose of TV connects you back into the world. Yeah. But surprise, surprise, when you, when you depend on that too much for a connection to the world, you're not actually connecting to the world. You're connecting, connecting to the thing you're watching. So like, you're... Sure. Well, but the TV is the mind's retina. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, love is in the eye, or whatever they say I, at the end of the movie. It's in the eye of the So, body. here's my thought. A bl- Professor Oblivion, one way or the other, creates this format or this video that literally causes hallucinations and the ability to be impacted by hypnotic suggestion or whatever through this. However he creates it. Uh... He, he, Professor Oblivion, whatever his actual name is, he believes this is like a religious experience. This is something to share with people to connect with them. He says his partners recognize this, they murder him, and decide to use this ability, this, this video he's created, to kill and control what they call the weak and impure people. The very convex people. So... I guess Professor Oblivion at one point was working with yes. Barry Convex, and then Barry Convex and him kind of split. Yes, he said there were other partners. You don't get a sense of who they were. Maybe it's the 
Patron guy, maybe it's, it's probably other people with very convex. But he basically says, my partners killed me because they saw they had, that I had this power, and they wanted to use it for their own ends through Videodrome, which he considered... And the movie makes it clear that Videodrome is in one group, and Professor Oblivion and Bianca Oblivion It didn't are make it clear. Yeah, I don't I, think that, it made it clear. I was so confused at the end about... Okay, so now he's not affected by Videodrome, but he's still having hallucinations, and he's still... Trying to do something? Yeah. I don't so, understand. Uh, well, okay, let me let me get through what I think happened. And then I, I feel like some of this is explained and some of it is not. So his partner, Bear Convex, and who knows who else, kills Professor Oblivion, and they have they have control of this video drone uh, power. This videotape that causes people to have hallucinations, to die, to kill it, themselves. Well, at one point, Bianca Oblivion says, it doesn't matter what you're looking at, it will impact you. So it's yes. it's in the signal. So you could be looking at the he says the She says, like, a, yeah, it could be anything. Um, and my, my thought is that the stuff that you see in this movie, the horrible stuff, that is Max's hallucination. That is what he sees when he sees Videodrome. He, you find out from the Patron guy that nobody else has actually seen Videodrome except for Max and Nikki Brand. And shows some Videodrome. subjects. And maybe Masha and some subjects. I suspect that all the goopy stuff you see and all the stuff that appears on the screen as Videodrome is what Max sees. And in fact, at times in the movie, you see Max halu- see, like, he picks up the gun and it gets grafted to his hand, and then the next scene it won't be grafted. Mm-hmm. It's just a gun. Here's, I think that's just what Max sees. Here's one change that Cronenberg made that... Um, that I think sort of lends itself to what you're... Uh, sure. May or may not lend itself to what you're saying. So there's only one person who's shot with the cancer gun, and that is... Cancer gun? The <laughs> hand, the gun kind of like attaching oh, his body like shoots. a cancer. What's his face? You just said his name. Barry? Convex. Yes. Okay. He shoots him with the cancer gun, and then he all, he, all these tumors yeah, out about him, and he... Yeah. Very, it looked on, that was very John Carpenter to me. But he didn't shoot his partners with the cancer gun? That was the change. Originally, he had five or six people who were going to be shot with that gun and have that effect on them. And then he had boiled it down to two people, one of his partners and Barry Convex. And then eventually he thought, well, the partner is actually not a, not a villain. Yeah, we don't know him. And so he just gets shot with a bullet. Okay. So what I think, what I think happens is basically anytime you see something weird or gross happen in this movie, this is what Max is seeing. Because Max is interested in sexuality and violence, and when he gets hallucinates as a result of a videodrome effect, this is what he sees. So Professor Oblivion's dead. His partners have taken control of his abilities to some extent, or you know, what the, the, the effect that his video has. They put this Patron guy, whose name I keep forgetting... Uh, in at Channel 83 with Max, with the idea that, that we will show Max these videotapes. Max will be fall, will gain a brain, will get a brain tumor, and he'll fall into the effects of the Videodrome effect. We will have Max kill his partners and his wife. TV ha- partners at Channel 83. Right. Like the vice president. He will kill the other people involved with Channel 83 and then go to jail. I'm not exactly sure how that will lead to them then taking control of the channel, but they will use Channel 83 to expose the weak and impure viewers Basically, anyone to who's Videodrome. attracted to Videodrome. And anybody who sees Videodrome will die. They will go crazy and die. I mean, that's that's clear from the movie. Actually, that not anyone who's attracted to Videodrome, because they since they said it would affect you regardless, even if you're just looking at color bars, just anybody they're using the, those 
the soft porn and violent videos to attract the wrong sort of people yeah. weak. Yeah. And then expose them to this uh, signal that they have. Control. Yeah, they may show just a static signal. In fact, my thought is no, that... but they won't. That's what I'm saying. They're actually trying to attract people who oh, they want will show to see violence and pornography, and violence, and the video so that they can destroy them. That that makes sense. And my the thought is that they're using this video drum signal to just basically kill a bunch of people or make them open a suggestion. Uh, they do that. All the stuff you see that Max, all the goofy stuff is what Max hallucinates. This is not what anyone else sees. And that there's stuff in the movie that you see as a viewer that Max clearly doesn't see. Nikki goes off to audition for Videodrome because she sees something on the TV. She sees Videodrome in some form. And she's probably killed because she shows up to Pittsburgh. And tells, she's absolutely one of the people that they're trying to get rid yeah, of. She's, yeah, she's, the pro, she's a problem to them. Masha probably dies too. But basically, they, for my, my theory is that Barry or whoever is involved, Barry Convex or whoever is involved, somebody calls them and says, I'm interested in Videodrome, and they kill the person who asks them about that because the only person who's supposed to have seen Videodrome is Max. He's telling other people, go check this out for me, and they're killed as a result. Like Nikki and Masha. Like Nikki and Masha. Uh, Max tells the Patron guy, hey, I've been hallucinating. Have you been hallucinating? And Patron guy says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. It's at that point that he goes, Patron guy goes and tells Barry Convex, Max is under the spell of Videodrome, he's watched it, he's asking about hallucinations, he's now vulnerable to this. Uh, Barry calls up Max and says, come into my, my, come visit me, I'm going to try this helmet on you and see what's up. I'm going to treat you. Super cool helmet. Yeah, I'm going to treat you, but really he doesn't treat him, he's just further exposing him to Videodrome and this effect to make him open a suggestion. Uh, now that he's open suge to suggestion, they tell Max, we'll go kill all your partners, go kill Bianca Oblivion, because we want to take over your channel and kill all our opponents. And she somehow knows how to counteract video calls. She does, because her dad was new, who under she's the only other person aside from Barry Convex who actually understands what's going on. She, she knows how to use the tools of the oppressor, because she was the one who kind of helped create those tools to begin right. with. So my theory is that when Max goes to kill her, she uses the hypnotic suggestion that she knows he's vulnerable to, to say, no, don't kill me, go kill all the people who just uh, sent you to kill me, which he goes and does. Uh, he murders the Patron guy, he goes and murders Barry. Uh, it is Barry, the, Barry's not the Patron, the, the Patron guy basically kills himself. That's what Max sees, but I think Max, oh. I think... Well, but... Uh, I think did he kill him? I think that what happens is he confronts the Patron guy. The Patron guy says, Oh, good, you've killed everyone we asked you to. Well, here's your next set of hypnotic suggestions. And Max, that, that doesn't work on him anymore. Okay, but what you didn't... What, we, what, what you, you see, see on as a viewer is the Patron guy inserting another Betamax video into Max Max's Ren's stomach, stomach yeah. to give him a suggestion to tell him what to do. Yeah. Only something terrible happens to his hand while it's in there and he pulls it out and it's a hand grenade. And then a, he blows. a fleshy hand grenade. Yes. And then he blows up. So my, my thought, my explanation for that, which is just maybe just a guess, right, is that Max is a cable producer who works with a lot of videotapes, so what he sees as hypnotic suggestion to him is somebody inserting a videotape in him. Because that's how he views the stuff in his life. But what actually happens, we don't know. Who kills this other he guy? He somehow kills that guy and walks through a hole in the wall in the back of the door. Or he walks out a door and he thinks of it as a hole. Like, there's a lot of stuff that happens that he hallucinates. 
he goes and kills Barry, who in his mind, he kills with this goofy gun, and Barry explodes, but he probably just shoots this guy Which, to death. Uh, the, that fleshy gun, I think James Woods uh, nicknamed it the Pooparoo. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, that's cool. I that's correct. And then Max runs away, because he's murdered a bunch of people, and hallucinates Mickey Brand saying, well, you've surpassed your human body, just kill yourself and you can live on as a video or whatever. And a bunch of tripe blows out of the TV. French tripe blows out of the TV and he shoots himself. But I think all of this at this point is just hallucination. We have to we have to say what the tagline of this movie is, which is Long live the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. Which is somehow not Videodrome. That's the thing that you get to when you've Yes, he says, Death Pet Videodrome, long live the new flesh. Yeah, so I kind of, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the um, the imagery and the symbolism in mm-hmm. Videodrome, because when I, when I watch James Wood's character in this movie, I see a man who's trying to be this um, channel executive big shot, and he's mm-hmm. looking for this tough, you know, more aggressive type of pornography to show on his film, but in his personal life, when he's not at work, he's he's kind of um, queasy about certain things, and I think yeah, he's got a limit. He has a limit, which I think is probably good. <laughs> um, and it's it, it, this movie is really um, testing his limits here. But I thought it was interesting that what he hallucinates in himself and what he is attracted to is you know not this giant like penis coming out of his stomach, but rather like a giant vagina coming out of his stomach. Like, that's that's his hallucination. That's what he's, um, I don't know, this like latent fear in him that he's that he's just got this giant vagina <laughs> that, that can be exposed by unbuttoning his t-shirt or something. Like, I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, once he becomes affected by Videodrome, he's very vulnerable to input from other people. I mean, that's yeah, that aspect of it. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. And, like, input. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I, I mean, you're you're saying, basically, that... He's pointing to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Pointing to you and saying <laughs> David pointing at death. wasn't sure kind of what this meant. But that's how I took it, which is that the goofy stuff that happened is, is hallucination, but the story of this movie and, and the theme and the plot here is that somebody has created a way that video affects you directly. The, the stuff you watch on TV, the violent and pornographic stuff you watch on TV, in this movie, they've taken it, it's not just you watch, you become desensitized and that has a physical effect on you, but in this movie, well, we've created a new type of video and it very directly impacts you. It physically impacts you when you right. watch this. It changes you. And they even say it has it to be violent or, or pornographic in, in nature. And it creates this vulnerability in you. It creates damage to your body physically. You hallucinate things and you become open to suggestion by the people who create this video because their messages impact you directly and cause you to go out and kill people if they want you for all, for all they say. Like the people who are in charge of the video that you're watching can impact you directly. Here's the, here's the difference between Unfriended and Videodrome. Mm-hmm. It's uh, superficiality. So, video uh, Unfriended, some people made a movie, they wanted to use a technique, they inadvertently had a message, right? <laughs> yeah. Cronenberg didn't have a message because everything in that movie came directly from his gut, right? Yeah. It all came from deep inside him, and he made a vision of that. And it's all controlled by him. 
and their purpose behind it. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it may not be a message. It's you not intentional. Not have, right. You may not have thought, I'm going to make a movie about how violence on TV affects children. What he did was, I'm going to thoroughly express something. I mean, and it, then it, he <laughs> did that. Yeah. In the movie, the things, the, the violence on TV does impact James Wood. It's just not clear if that's meant to be figurative or literal in the movie. Because well, literally in the movie, they're like, this is a video that causes impacts on people. Right. And if you think about it, I mean, Cronenberg was born in 1943, I believe. Okay. There wasn't a TV in every home. Yeah. That happened. All of the the technology that you see in that movie was created during his lifetime. It wasn't mm-hmm. something he was born into. It was something that he had... His his uh, perspective on it is, this is something that's happening. You were born into a world with... I don't know, were there laptop computers? You were born into a world with desktop computers. Yeah, and at some point. And CDs, and you could watch a movie on a, on sure. a VHS. He was born into a world that none of that stuff existed. Well, that, that, that's what we can kind of say with, um, with the technology in Unfriended too, is Jacob and I, um, I'm, I'm 29 and Jacob is 31. 31. <laughs> um, we were not born into a world where we had access to internet like this and we had video chats and we had instant messaging. Yeah, like, that, came later. that stuff happened when I was maybe like 12. And up, and so we yeah. we knew a world where we didn't have where the internet wasn't such a huge part of our lives, mm-hmm. and so maybe I could we could draw a parallel with Cronenberg, who was born in 1943, and who like you know all of this TV and video stuff that was new to him that he lived his life for a significant period of time without it, and now he's like, oh, what? Is, how does this fit into right? My and I world think there view? might be some some excitement around creating something that that deals with this new this new technology coming into your what's so what I'm thinking about comparing these two movies is in Unfriended the premise of this movie whether it's intentional by the, the authors or whatever in Unfriended these people who are jerks make a video that unintentionally causes somebody to kill themselves because it's so impactful I, I am making a face because it, it was so not unintended. Well, I, yeah, they, I guess they, they didn't, didn't post want that. Her to, they didn't post that video by accident. They didn't intend for her to kill herself, but they posted this video to tease her. Sure, and she but they did herself. say, yeah, they did directly they did say tell her to kill so herself. So they said they they use U R S E L F, well, well, which is kind of here. Right. <laughs> In Unfriended, they post this video about Laura Barnes teasing her, or bullying her, or whatever you want to say saying, go kill yourself, Laura Barnes, and then they are shocked and disappointed, or some of them are, that she does that. But, like, there's some of this is made in mean jest. And in Videodrome, there's this nasty violence and pornography that is maybe more intentional than the characters realize, because he's watching this video of people hurting, like, torture videos, and he's going, well, this is all fake. This is goofy, and people keep telling him, no, this is real, and the point of this is political, and it causes you to cause brain tumors, and causes you to be, you know, to do things, and he's going, no, no, no. And I'm friend of the exact opposite, where they're posting this video, saying, like, kill yourself, Laura Bard, but really, we're kidding. That's, that's what, I don't know if that's a, a timing difference, or like, in, in one movie, the, the, the 
content that they've created is a joke or it's ironic and the other one he thinks it's ironic and everything about it is like no this is what you're seeing is real and you should take this as seriously mm-hmm. as as it is yeah and I'm <laughs> well let's, i think on that ladies those are yeah they're different in that way but i think that the end result is you know like technology is damaging if you're not careful with it and if you're not aware with it like both both those um i don't know those approaches lead to the same conclusion of like what whatever the intent is you need to think not about the intent but about the impact well i think in in videodrome he was more of a victim of because he didn't know what was happening he was attracted to something unsavory yeah but he did not have any awareness that that, well, I don't know, I guess... You, what he doesn't was, give a shit at the no, early But also, what if it movie? was like cigarettes and you just didn't know cigarettes caused cancer? Yeah. But you really like cigarettes. That is kind of what this is. He really is attracted to pornography and violence, and he wants things to get a little more intense. Yeah. He doesn't know what the adverse effects are doing. Really, and he clearly no, doesn't care. And it's, it's not a, like, you could... If you give this, if you give James Wood's character the benefit of the doubt here, like he's just trying to make his tiny channel grow and thrive. He's yeah. seeing, he's saying, um, from that interview in the beginning of the movie that he, he wants to, you know, he's trying to attract a viewership and he needs to do what he can to make money for his I channel. I don't know that you should necessarily believe the line that he gives no well, I, don't I, mean, think, like, I don't believe it at all i said if, i said if you give him the benefit of the <laughs> yeah. doubt and oh, that's, sorry. that's an if like if you wanted <laughs> to don't. you could you know like if you gave him the benefit of the doubt here's this guy who may or may not be attracted to this kind of um material but he just he's running a business and he just needs you know the viewership mm. blah 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 i would argue that his attraction to nikki uh, further suggests that he is attracted to that. Yeah. Because yeah. she, for sure, has that element to her. I mean, yeah. Maybe that's the through line between these two movies is in both movies, what you put out, what you put out there has an impact. Whether you mm-hmm. believe it does, whether you don't want it to have an impact and you think it's yeah. just an ex, like, I, I agree with you, Karen, that like, that's, that's the through line between these two is people are putting content or videos out there that have potentially have a damaging effect or not. But whether you feel like they do or they should or you feel like they should or not, they do. Yeah, they've got an impact and you have to be aware of what that impact is. Otherwise, you know, the ghosts of Laura Barnes will come and kill you and put your fist in a blender. (laughs) Or you'll need video drones. Yeah. Or you'll end up shooting yourself with a flesh gun. Yeah. Yeah. Fleshy flesh gun. All, all hail, what is it? All hail the new flesh. All hail the new new flesh. flesh. Long live the new flesh. That's the video drone. (laughs) So, um... Can we briefly mention Existence? I love Existence! I love Existence well, more I than this I kind of wanted to bring up various things, actually. Yeah, what do you want to bring up? Um, so, in preparation for watching this movie, I watched Deadpool. Dead Zone. The Dead Zone. The Dead Zone. Do you, you watch Deadpool? Like, I have huh? seen Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, without We watched Deadpool together as a uh, The Dead Zone. Um, a Stephen King novel. So, Cronenberg uh, directed it, but it was one that he has that he didn't write. Mm-hmm. And it definitely was not... It wasn't... All it wasn't Cron- goofy. It wasn't Cronenberg-y. Yeah. Um, it was pretty good, but I was a little disturbed by the ultimate villain was a narcissistic politician Mm -hmm. who uh, lied a lot and threatened people and uh, had to be... That's so ridiculous. That's (laughs) crazy. That's not relevant to our times at all. And the the guy who plays Dead Zone, uh, Christopher Walken, Walken ends up sacrificing himself. 
so that that guy doesn't get to be president. Sure. Uh, that was the one thing I was like, you probably don't watch this movie right now. There's a lot of political movies that don't fly anymore. <laughs> I think is one of them. I think Bob Roberts isn't a uh, scathing um, satire anymore. It's more like, yeah, I don't want to watch. All that. right, but we're not supposed to get political on this podcast, <laughs> aren't we? I don't know. I don't know. But um, I, only yeah. as needed. But what I did so was I watch the Dead Zone. We've all seen Existence. It's David Cronenberg's later movie where he's kind of using the Videodrome. The video games, specifically towards video games. Video games, yeah. But he seems to have maybe less of a grip on video games and what they're about. But that makes perfect sense. You're talking about... Somebody born in the 40s? Yeah, he was born in 1943. He... I don't know if he plays video yeah. games. It doesn't but seem like it. It shows that he's got this visceral fear towards their impact yeah. on people in the world. Well, and also it was 1980s video games, <sighs> right? So that movie came out know. in the late 80s. No, no, Existence came out late 90s. Oh, I thought it was early. No, it's, it's later than that. Existence is so good. It's really crazy and hilarious and it weird. Is. Uh, it's, I think, that Videodrome is a much better movie because you can, I think the things that, as goofy as it is, I think the stuff in Videodrome is somebody who has some strong feelings about movie and TV and right. he's expressing them. And I think, I think it, it's, it's a, a, sense he's I a think it's a, a director at the beginning of his career showing what he's got, what, yeah. you know, his potential. I yeah. like the outfits in Videodrome more oh, than sure. the outfits in Existence. What? But I like the story of Existence more than Videodrome. I thought that's so freaking fun and cool. Yeah, Existence has some really goofy stuff that is probably not intentional. Bioports! Cronenberg doesn't seem like somebody who includes anything goofy intentionally. Infected oh, by movie was very goofy. Existence? Yes, it was, but I don't think that any of the goofy stuff's intentional based on the other stuff in his filmography. Or maybe he grew a sense of humor. But none of his later movie? moves have any sense of humor. <laughs> I don't know. That man. movie about the Freud and Young is humorless. Oh, but it is, God. That it's movie good. was so weird. What's the name of that movie? Uh, that movie is An, An Unusual movie. Method, I think, with uh, Kira Knightley, <laughs> Viggo Mortensen, up, and. Yes. I did want to mention that he's all young in that. Oh, um, Michael Fassbender. No, yes. yeah, he's definitely in it. That movie's so. And that movie's weird. really good. It's Fassbender and uh, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, and Karen Knightley. I wish I could meet David Cronenberg. Yeah, me too. I would love to have lunch with him. One of the things at Subway about him that was said by hey, the young Pope. <laughs> Watching my mom play with the laptop. What oh, was it you wanted to? You want to look up? Uh, just look up for it's the unusual method. Oh, uh, the Cronenberg. Yeah. Cronenberg. And Eastern Promises. You always also talk about movie. Eastern Promises, but I haven't seen. Well, why don't you guys watch Eastern Promises for a change? Okay, well maybe I should watch Eastern Promises. And we are looking for. Oh, it's funny because I think a dangerous method. A dangerous a method. Dangerous method. I think early in his career, David Cronenberg and David Lynch were kind of. Similar in the output that they well, would make. Well, I think there were some John Carpenter esque effects yeah. in. Well, let there me. Were some John I mean, goofy stuff. I I don't know. Did the guy work on the thing? So uh, there are three. I think there's a couple of people who work on all of Cronenberg's movies. One of them is Howard Shore, who did the music, mm-hmm. and who also did the music for Lord of the Rings, as you yeah. mentioned, and a whole lot of other. Yeah, but that is movies. the thing where you probably can immediately. Oh, and I feel like he theme. wrote the theme for Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> he was the music director for Saturday Night Live for a while. All right, do this. Hum the theme to Saturday Night Live. 
Wait, that's home improvement. No. <laughs> and the other person is the uh, production designer, uh-huh. Carol Spear, who's worked on all of his movies. Okay. So she was responsible for. Oh, and I was also going to mention that uh, you know the cathode ray mission. Uh, mission. Mm-hmm. A lot of the scenes were filmed inside of that uh, building. Yeah. The cathode ray mission, for example, all the TV cubicles, they were all in there. Um, what's his name's? Uh, Oblivion's office that looked kind yeah. of churchy uh-huh. was actually in there and there's one of the things I read was the um, I showed you my Cinefantastique magazine yes. that mm-hmm. I got which mm-hmm. is the 83-84 January December-January edition yeah. which has a very long article about the Metrome <laughs> in it and at one point I think the I can't I'm, it's I think it's Tim Lucas maybe the reporter's mm. name anyway he he goes into that office Oblivion's office and he asks the production designer Carol Spears you know, did this used to be a church? Because there's some stained glass in that mm-hmm, room. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. all just fake. It's all just like latex oh. stuff that she painted on there or had painted on there. Huh. She and it, you know, we noticed the rooms. Yes. And oh, yeah. Especially James Woods' apartment. Oh, it's such a mess. And if you look at some of her filmography, like um most recently eleven twenty two sixty three. Oh. oh. We she watched has that. We watched Pacific that. Rim. Oh so much Fringe, detail, yes. Eastern Promises? Yeah. Well, she's done all the Cronenbergs. She's got and a way played, with building sets. And the guy who did the physical effects, um, Rick Baker, he worked on the first three Star Wars movies. Oh, geez. and most recently Maleficent. He did the Maleficent makeup. <laughs> okay. And I, I want to, I kind of want to go back to what I said about how like pre CGI stuff is really cool to watch. I don't want to diss CGI work in general because I know that a lot of like huge teams of people go into like do a lot of work for that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And I don't want to be dismissive about CGI. It's just like yeah, that's all we see in movies now a days. And I just like watching these old movies where you can see what people used to do before the technology caught oh, up to. I, I agree. Yeah. So I just wanted for the viewers. I mean the listeners. For the listeners <laughs> out there, I just wanted to make it clear that I'm not dismissing all of these people's hard work, teams of like hundreds of people to get every detail right and with their animation and CGI. I just also wanted to say, it's just freaking cool to see guts, you know? <laughs> it's cool. Oh, and that scene where the guy gets shot with a cancer gun and gets all split up and broken oh, up, there no! were a lot of people moving things. <laughs> yeah. It was on a raised platform, and they're all underneath their, like, people's hands. Yeah, going, like, like yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a different kind of intricate, which I appreciate. Like just yeah. people there in the moment doing something physical to I make mean, those to deliver this scene. Well, and they had to invent things to yeah. do it. Yeah, like the TV when the TV's moving. Yeah. Uh, originally, I guess they at that time they used like air bladders you would blow into things mm-hmm. to make things move, but there were too many things moving on the TV for them to be able to do that. So somebody rigged up a keyboard. It was hooked to tubes <laughs> that would both blow and vacuum air out. <laughs> so we can make it play it. Yeah, I mean, it's... those practical effects, when you watch them, even if sometimes they're not able to do some of the more, like, intricate or complicated effects that you see in movies today. Like, Karen and I saw Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Mm-hmm. There are big creatures in that you could not do with practical effects no. at all. But if you use special effects to do things that you could do with practical effects, sometimes those effects don't don't stand up because yeah. you notice them as fake. Right. Yeah. What's that? Um, there's a Sam Raimi movie, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. It was my one 
well, it wasn't my one problem with it, but my biggest that is problem, a problem with, with it that movie. is like when blood would come out. The blood wasn't blood; it was CGI it's, blood. Yeah, it's very clearly not real, and it doesn't have the same visceral impact. And then you have movies like Mad Max Fury Road, mm-hmm. which people applaud for having a lot of practical effects, but it has a ton of computer effects as well. Yeah. They just use the two in conjunction in a way that looks really good. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of it has to do with like. When you're presenting a movie, probably like the people who control the money say, oh, this is what people love to mm-hmm. see now. It's CGI, so we've got a budget for these huge teams of people who can do special things with computers and make a scene yeah. with computers. But like there's just maybe just not as much of a budget given towards creating practical effects and like tangible guts. Let me ask that. Gut-like things. You know, let me loop that back when I'm friended. There are a very limited number of effects, special effects in Unfriended, most of which I assume are CGI, but a couple are maybe practical. I don't. What did you guys think I don't about the effects? Remember any effects? Well, one the guy stabbed himself in the eye with a knife. Right. That's I was gonna when we were talking about sure that, I meant to say I think it blacks out every time right before that happens. I think he goes yeah, to probably. black screen. I know it does when Ken gets killed. It goes black, and then the and then the light comes up, and his hand is in the blender. Yeah. And then it goes black again, and then it comes up, and he's, like, banging his head on the table. Right, and it occurs to me that maybe that's because the the ghost is doing it. You can, you don't get to see the ghost. The ghost is actually physically putting oh, his hand know. into the blender. You don't when know. The guy, when the guy stabs himself, it, it, does it goes s- black, and then he's got a knife in it. Seems like something, some external force is controlling them, like, physically to do whatever yeah, they Yeah, obviously, do. they were possessed. And but in I, fact, the, video, the, the website she goes to says you'll be possessed by a ghost. That's true. <laughs> um, I think we should probably wind down. Yeah. yeah. So is there anything important you need to say about either movie? I mean, I like Videodrome. It is weird. It doesn't all hang together exactly. But, but it's it is, good. It's short. Okay, number one, and I know this sounds like a silly compliment, but it is 88 minutes long. It is. It makes me appreciate movies being short because through that whole time I was interested and engaged. We should also clarify that we watched the unrated version, whatever that means. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I liked the script in Videodrome. I liked how people talked to each other in this movie. It seemed very natural. Yeah, it did. So um, I would recommend Videodrome as gross and as weird as it is. Like, it's freaking cool. It actually was not as gross as I expected it to be. Yeah. So I did a lot, you know, as usual, I did a lot of reading before seeing it. So I knew what a lot of the effects were going to be and how they were done. Um, it just wasn't that gross. I mean, a lot of the stuff that happens, as goopy and gross as it is, is crazy. And that crazy stuff is not as unpleasant. Like, the big gash in his stomach that he puts a gun in right. is weird, but it's also ridiculous. So you don't, like, it doesn't I, I, also yeah. say, I was not scared. No, movie yeah. didn't scare me. Just kind of like, a little, you know, gross factor, a little uncomfortable, but it's not so scary it's just you can it seems like when you're watching it someone's trying to tell you something about something yeah yeah and, you're and like, your brain is trying to figure out what the message is they're trying to send yeah. you so i guess it's sort of like video drone sure <laughs> <laughs> and i would say david cronenberg's movies in general are not scary even the scary movies i'm making air quotes here for the most part are more uncomfortable or weird uh they're psychological the dead zone mm-hmm. scanners existence the brood, which nobody's brood, seen. Brood, which nobody's seen. But I mean, they're more like something gross is going to appear on screen, not like something's going to scare me. Yeah. Um, so I would say for both of these movies, like what we had been discussing earlier, you've got to think about 
like the impact of your use of technology and yeah. your your or the impact of technology on you. Yeah, the impact of technology on you. Like you you've got there's got to be some level of awareness when you're engaging with the world through a screen. So, I think those are the messages from the, I would, the book these movies. I mean, I would recommend Videodrome cuz I liked it already. It's weird, it's not the best Cronenberg movie, but it is a good one. What's the best one? I like Scanners a lot, but his most his last few movies, which are not scary movies at all, or science fiction, are probably his best movies made. Eastern Promises is great. I recommend that to anybody. A Dangerous Method is pretty great, actually. Mm. It's weird, but I would <laughs> Good outfits. Um, One thing we didn't touch on was that we normally do is race. Yeah. And well, that'll uh, be, that's an interesting one. And uh, well, also feminism. That's a little... Not yeah. so much. Well... I guess if we if we were to do a brief I don't know scan of race none of the Both friends movies were he- were white yeah all the way across hundred percent yeah. I don't know if there uh, were there any were some Asian talk. people in the two uh, Japanese businessmen yeah. who who sell pornography yes there was his secretary who may or may not have been a woman of color in Videodrome Bridie Bridie I'm gonna say no um, but yeah they're the friends in Unfriended none of them all white all white friends um, in Videodrome white um, everybody's white and straight yeah and I mean Videodrome to very limited credit at least is confronting issues of sexuality yes there are, but we did mention that only women are tortured. Only women are yes. tortured, but I could at least you could at least see a way to explain that in that Max has some issues with women. That is very clearly made in this movie. And the one yeah. character who isn't influenced by Videodrome or trying to use it and is doing good works is Bianca O'Blue. Or Bridie. Bridie seems she's like just a, a normal. She is. She's secretary. a she's a normal. But I mean, at least Videodrome has something to say about gender and sexuality yeah. in some way. I, I give it some tiny bit of credit for like it's, it's trying to say something. The women who are in it are there and their role was at least meaningful in some way. Mm-hmm. Unfriended there it's no. Yeah. Uh, um, I would say <laughs> don't waste your time with it. If you if uh, kudos, to you, feelings about kudos to you if you want to try and watch Unfriended. I'm not going to try and stop you if you're going to watch it but like if you finish it then, like, really extra kudos to I would say if you are interested in cinema, you might watch Unfriended to see how they executed on this goal of showing a movie where all you see, do is look at a computer screen. Because, you know, Maggie and my dad both liked Unfriended, and I've heard people that I would say, go, absolutely go watch Unfriended, watch the first 20 minutes, and if you're not into it by that point, stop watching it. But some people really like it. And I can see why someone would, even though I personally didn't. So I've, it's worth a shot. I I don't know who this um, guy is on the internet, but he he just does these videos Plus about. Me. No, <laughs> he's done these videos about like um, cinematic techniques and what works, mm-hmm. how it works, and how it doesn't work, and instances where it works and instances where it doesn't. And he's shown examples of how people depict technology cinematically and when it's effective and when it's not, and. An example of when it's effective is when you see the actor 
physically like interacting with their phone, but you also see the screen. Oh yeah. Kind yeah. of like you can see what they're typing and what they're doing, but you also the ex- you also get to see the expression on the actor's face as he's typing and doing that. Mm-hmm. And in um in Unfriended, you got to see that a little bit, but because the focus was just on the screen and not really the person the visual focus was on the screen and not on the person typing yeah, that's it. Interesting. You couldn't really see like you had to infer from, you know, the way that they were revising their sentences online. Mm-hmm. This morning I ran across this uh, YouTube, I don't know if it's a YouTube channel, it's called Everything Said by, Pe- by People of Color, I believe, in which a person, and I can't remember his name, boils down. He oh, sure basically right. just takes every piece of film in a movie where a person of color speaks and puts them all together. So like in the Harry Potter movie that was just starting to come up, six minutes. Yep. That's how much, that's how many words are spoken. Well, there aren't very many people of color, and they don't have a lot to say. Yeah. I think there's one wizard. Is there the... One boy Well, their characters are not made to have a lot to say by the people who make the movies, (laughs) so... Or in the book of Harry Potter, at least. Yeah. Nothing... Is it possible that she... I mean, does she actually say what color people are in Cho Chang... Is implied to be of another race. What about Lavender Patil or something? Yes, but all those characters are so minor in Harry Potter. Yeah, I, I, um, as a person of color, I really, really want to see more of that point of view Mm -hmm. in everything that I consume, entertainment-wise. In a movie like Unfriended, there's no reason in the world half of those people couldn't have been anything other than white. Doesn't yet. Or more than half, all of them. Well, maybe not all, because part of their reasoning is that people won't go see the movie, right? So mm-hmm. could have been yeah. six black friends. There's a black movie. Changed. You can go see it. Right. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it's but, frustrating. But if, I don't know, there were six or seven characters, if there had been a Hispanic character and an Asian character and a black character and the rest were white, that would have driven away yeah. white audiences. And it would have been more feel? true to, like, a public high school right. feel. Oh, for sure. So I... I'm just disappointed so many times with the ways the ways that Hollywood and just the film scene in general just for no reason other than like oh white people might not want to watch this movie if there's more than like you know three people of color in this movie like I just I want to see more people of color in movies and um, that's kind of why I appreciate I guess I'm gonna do an accidental plug here but that's kind of why I appreciate the new Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events um series on netflix because um yeah the main characters are white but like there's other characters in the show that are black that are indian that you know like they're and it those those characters could have been white but maybe they could not have been and it's cool that you see a diversity in the cast and it's just i don't it's really nice you know, there's other shows and other movies that put even more diversity in the cast out there that are starting to, and um, I, I just want more of that stuff. I think this, I, I think so. um, Hollywood could use more of that. Well, and I think our nation could use more of it. Heck yeah, currently. for because sure. If we had shows that were as diverse as our nation actually is. People would not be in quite the mindset that they're in. Well, let Amen. me use my example of a movie series I love, but I understand why people love. Fast and the Furious movies oh, are yeah. huge Hollywood blockbusters where very rarely does race or gender impact the story, but that movie is, that cast is predominantly people of color. 
and women. And the movie is very successful and people love it like me. I love and Fast and I think that there is a value that that movie is expressing, even if it's unintentional, about uh, showing like an actual... Um, this is what America looks like. But even still with Fast and the Furious, I love this. I love that movie series. I love it so much. And actually, Jacob and I, when we first started dating, our one of our goals was to watch all of the Fast <laughs> and, and Furious did. movies together. Yeah. Um, but even still, like the characters, the roles that they had in that movie were like, you know, these are illegal car, like street car sure. racers, and yeah. none of them are scientists, and none of, like maybe they are scientists, and that they are smart. But, yeah, they're yeah. smart, but none of them like hold what our society thinks are like you know prestigious roles in society mm -hmm. and it's just like all of i, I want to see more you know like people of color playing like roles that white people could play yeah um and i guess you see that a little bit in there's this there's this movie out now where it's um uh a lot of three black women who are playing, um, they're like scientists. Oh, but who, that's based on history. Yeah, that's based on history. <laughs> they couldn't cast them as white. They were white in historical. Well, that's never stopped anybody, but yeah, yeah sure. But, you <laughs> but know, it is about real people. And it, yeah. they're tell, that Hollywood has chosen to tell that story. So it's cool that they have, but like, I just want to see more. Always, I'm, I'm always wanting to see more people of color in roles in Hollywood films yeah. that are like not just some gangsters but just sure. even though those gangsters are cool and smart and funny and and charismatic like I want to see that and other depictions as well yeah yeah I agree with you and I think there's examples of, of movies that do that well and that's people should, should use that yeah that. we need to uh, talk about the cocktail well, yeah please yes. tell us about this cocktail so this uh, really for this particular cocktail because well it's sort of delicious I mean I drink it <laughs> I drink it, I I drink it all to the last blob um, they yeah. were, I wanted to do a couple of things when I initially started thinking about it because it's the 80s I was thinking about doing something neon and then I sort of decided because the genre that we were talking about was body horror mm -hmm. that maybe I should try some molecular gastronomy because that's you know we're changing you know it's like morphing something into something else yeah mm -hmm. um, but I also decided to base the flavors on drinks that were very popular in the 80s okay so the base liquid that's in this cocktail is just essentially a kamikaze which is vodka triple sec and lime a yes. pretty simple yeah. cocktail. But it was very popular. It's considered a disco cocktail. It's still popular. Um, and then the other thing, um, actually before that I was thinking of making a melon ball, because that's very 80s, mm. and it's made with Midori, which was introduced in 1978, huh. uh, okay. which is a melon-flavored liqueur. Yeah. And it's made, it's melon, it's Midori, vodka, and orange juice. So I sort of put those two things together. <laughs> And so there's a kamikaze base, and then I used molecular gastronomy to make these blobs of Midori mixed with triple sec. I wanted to use orange juice, but the blobs won't form because of the So some of the green blobby molecules. Green blobby mo molecules go into the drink yep. after you blob them. And then I used uh, lecithin to enable me to make a foam out of orange juice, and that's what's on top. Yeah, so it's like a... Sort of a clearish, greenish uh, liquor with green blobs in it and Icky a foam, orange foam on top. Yes. Uh, it's kind of on the sour side, I would say. Yeah, mm -hmm. the blobs are pretty sweet, but the yeah. drink is sour. 
Mm-hmm. And we have photos of it we'll share. Yes. Check out hashtag decades podcast and you can see photos of the cocktails that we've, um, that Deb has made. And we've drank. And well, that and we've also, drank. I mean, when, when we finally do upload our, yeah. our first group of episodes, which we haven't done yet, I have yes. already created a Facebook page. It'll be Facebook slash decades podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all the recipes will be there. There will be pictures, and I blog a little bit about how I developed the drink. Yeah, it was good. It was pretty good. It was good. also definitely the coolest looking one, I think, so far. <laughs> I have no idea where I'm going from here, because so far <laughs> I've gone from I used dry ice in the first episode to make a bubbling concoction. Last week I sculpted baby faces out of... Yeah! Out of, out of, well, this one used the And this one I used chemicals to blob it up. Yeah. Do we want to talk about next episode or do we want to talk about plugs? Oh, well, we sh- we do need to say what we're going to watch for our next episode. Yeah. 1990. So the old movie... Almost up to modern day. ...is Jacob's Ladder. Hey! I'm super excited to watch it. My ladder. Because I remembered watching it. Uh, I've never seen it. When it I've never out. seen it either. But Probably. I know it has Kyle Gass from Tenacious D. Oh, okay. And Tim Robbins. Very briefly. Please. Oh, all, all the characters. Friends of Tenacious D. Um, I remember it as being super scary when I saw it. I know that Jacob's Ladder is a joke people make about having an ending that's all a dream. Oh, I didn't know about that joke. Talk about oh, Jacob's Laddering. I'm even more excited now that I see what I paired it with because I've what been wanting to watch it? this. The Babadook. Ah! Which I haven't seen. <laughs> I've seen, seen that. that. This will be my third viewing of The Babadook if we watch this movie. So, you will watch this movie. Yes, when we watch this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have a lot to say about The Babadook. I'm looking ahead of our list. Okay. Oh, don't look ahead. Sorry. I saw, Bram, got, I saw Bram Stoker's that. Dracula. Let me tell you one thing about Brandon Stover's Dragon. I've tried to watch that four times and I've never been able to finish it. Well, that it. would only be true. We would only watch that if we did a special episode on vampires. Yeah. We have decided to do a special episode uh, focusing on women in horror. Yeah. I'm not sure how we're going to do that. I I did pull, create a list of American Psycho. American Psycho. by uh, women. American yeah. Psycho. American Psycho. The Babadook one also. One of my favorite movies. The Babadook is the only movie on our list of pairings that is directed by one. Yep. Um, so that's one way that we could approach women in sure. horror. I mean, every... Oh, you're right. Every movie <laughs> we've watched has women in it. My mom tried to close the laptop while we were recording. We're almost killing our recording. No! That's Karen was right. screaming into her shirt sleeve. I am drunkenly playing with my sweater. Yeah, this, these drinks were very strong. Was definitely that was, very well, that's, it's, basically, it's two drinks. Yeah. You've got the drink base blobs liquid, and, and then all the blobs are just pure alcohol. Blobs so. of alcohol, just yeah. like drops of Jupiter, but blobs of alcohol. Yeah. Can you sing that song? No, I'm not going to sing that All right, I, I'm going to take the lead here. Deb, I, my mom, what do you want to plug? Nothing to plug. Well, you guys are going to be somewhere next weekend. We are going somewhere. Let's plug it. We're going to the Women's March on Washington. Woo! Washington, D.C., baby! Yeah, we're actually going to Washington, D.C. Yeah. Which is, people don't know where we're located. We're actually in Washington State, so we're going as far from here as we can get, basically. Karen's wearing her pink hat right now. I am. Deb made me a pink pussy hat, as they're called. Yeah. And um, she made me matching scarves and mittens, so I'm freaking excited to wear that. Yes, Mm -hmm. I am. I can Instagram a picture if the 
listeners want. And I know you guys want that. Um, <laughs> Karen, what do you want to plug? I would like to plug um, also the March on Washington. I think it's such a cool thing um, that so many people are getting together. I was talking to my friend about this, and as as much as all of these terrible, awful things are going on in American politics right now, and as a result, like, world politics, um, like, all this terrible stuff is happening in the world right now, but so much... There's also so many cool things that are happening, too. A lot of people are coming together from all parts of the country to march in this thing and show that they um, align themselves with principles of unity and principles of intersectionality and supporting not just white feminism, but, like, feminism for everyone and women's rights as human rights. Like, women are human, and the more that you... Um, the more that women are empowered in our society, the better that society is in general. So um, I am very passionate about this, um, about these issues, and I'm so glad that Deb invited me to go to the <laughs> march with her. I'm so happy. Um, I would like to also plug Social Justice Fund. My um, six months of volunteering with them will be overcome March, and I think March is when we might be releasing these podcasts maybe or even oh, I think sooner february will february we're working what we when will this release one comes them out as probably. soon as they're edited basically okay. we have enough right that we are ready to soon. release well so. I, i've been volunteering for the past several months with this um, non-profit and we raise money for um, community organizations that are working to achieve gender justice um, on the ground level in their local communities especially for um, people who are I don't know, underrepresented in our politics or just like oppressed by, I don't know, systematic oppression, racial injustice, gender injustice. So it's, it's been cool to work with this nonprofit, volunteer with them. Um, we recently screened this movie called Free CC. It was a good movie. Uh, yep. Jacob was my guest to this and, um, it was about what a black trans woman faces in the prison system when she is um, charged with murder when actually she was more like using self-defense to protect herself. But, um, you know, I could say a lot about it, but just check out Social Justice Fund. Donate if you can. Yeah, where um, would I go to donate if I was... You, you could go to the Social Justice Fund website, and I guess if you're friends with me on Facebook or whatever, I'll, I'll put a link on it too, but... We can put a link on the Decades podcast. Yeah, yeah link on the Decades well. podcast. Um, so this is stuff that I've probably volunteered like almost 80 hours of my time um just volunteering with this nonprofit when i'm not like trying to build my law career (laughs) um so dovetailing on that also plugging helios law group um this is the law firm that jacob and uh the other managing partner at our firm had built from the ground up and i'm now a partner there too Mm -hmm. and we do um, we take all, all sorts of kinds of cases. What do you call it? We're an all-service. Full-service. Full-service law firm. Whatever you get firm. out, we'll do it. Or we'll um, find you somebody who can. We've got attorneys that cover criminal law. Um, that's me. Uh, we've got attorneys that do civil um, litigation contingency. We've also just got, like, transactional, contractual disputes, property disputes. Well, we and got so, it all. Um, yeah. Traffic tickets. Traffic Absolutely. tickets, I, yeah, You're in the I'm, area. I'm rocking the traffic ticket scene one ticket at a time, <laughs> getting them either dismissed or amended down to a, um, a charge that won't be reported to your, the Department of Licensing and whatever. It's cool. Um, what else do I want to plug? I, I think that's all I want to plug. 
Well, let me springboard off that and say that we're recording this in January. Uh, we are going to have an ad for Helios Log Group running The Stranger for the month of February. Mm -hmm. So you can look us up there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Oh, I don't know what I'm we should we should do uh, a shout out to Third Act Saviors, yes. which is the other podcast that Jacob is on. Jacob does a few podcasts here. I do too. Two this podcasts, one and one other, and a couple guest occasionally on Sidekicks. I've guested on the Sidekicks True. a couple times. Um, the Third Act Saviors, we watch bad movies and talk about how to fix them. Karen will be our guest. Probably in the episode that goes up towards the end of February. The Yay. timing in my head is working out correctly. FYI, I'm not that funny on side. Yeah, just skip the one with Karen on it. <laughs> yeah, Third Act Saviors. No, you've I'm, never even heard. Karen's not even heard the one that she's on. She's just imagining. I'm just self-conscious because it was like, oh my god, I'm not funny compared don't to Don't cyberbully Karen. Oh yeah, don't <laughs> cyberbully me. I've been cyberbullied before. If Karen poops her pants, don't post a video about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> you get you. You can send it to me in a private message and we can laugh about it together, but don't put that on the internet for everyone to see. But do listen to Third Act Saviors. Yes. Do donate to Social Justice Fund. Do go to the Women's March on Washington or donate money. Or, or March in Seattle. Local, yeah. yeah. There's one in uh, Washington. Over 300. In Woo! Washington, there's Around one in the world. Bellingham, Seattle, Olympia, and Spokane. So there's four in this state. Uh, and if you live in the Western Washington area and you have legal needs, call Helios Law Group. We'll... At worst, we'll give you some advice and tell you who to talk to. Oh, I want to I I want to plug um, my friend's group um, on Facebook, Calls to Action. Um, my friend Charmy and a couple of her other friends look up ways to um, call call your uh, I don't know local politicians and leave messages on their phone. You she they give you the phone numbers, they give you the issues to call them about. They write a little script for you to to you know, give yeah. to the phone messaging device. I don't know, phone answering machine, or if you get to, if you have any luck and you get to talk to a person, a real life person, you can say the script and, um, it's just a cool way to, to get involved and engaged and it doesn't take that much of your time. It's just like a three minute phone call where you can call your senators or call your representatives and just tell them like, Hey, I care about these issues and, um, I'm not going to be quiet about them. So what's the name of that Facebook group? Calls to Action. That's, that's what we got for plugs. Yep. We're watching, remind me what the two we're watching next week are. Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder. The Babadook. The Babadook. Go watch those two before the next episode, because we're going to. And I, uh, I did want to say, uh, like I said last, I think it was our last uh, episode, there was one episode where I changed the movie between episodes. Mm -hmm. I will never do that again. But at the end of the <laughs> Frankenstein episode, which I was editing, you said we're going to watch Starry Eyes and Cat People. And but it, instead we watched Cat People and Under the, Under the Skin. Skin. But it was better. We were better for it. Right, but it's not <laughs> fair to yeah. the listeners to true. change the movie in between. Surprise! Yeah. <laughs> true. Well, when these go up, it probably won't matter. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Thanks for Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Dan. Bye. Thank you all. Mm. All right. I'll hail the new flesh.